Cleo? Connor Cleo's because he's a titty momo. I'm sorry. That came out wrong. Did you melt halfway through that? A tiffy pluff. I have it on the Jigglypuff. Still not it. Jigglypuff. That's what you're looking for. On Game of A licky spittle. A lick spittle. There you go. Okay, a lick spittle. I was way off. I was way off. Welcome to our show, everybody. Everyone is here. Everyone is here, including you. Everyone. Uh, Obama is here. Yeah. Obama actually is going to be in my town in like two days. So you just go he's right with to the president. Yeah, yeah. You said everyone. Is he coming to visit you specifically? Kate, I think he heard about your coin theory. I think he really likes it. <laughs> you guys, I can't tell now if you're making fun of me about the coin no. theory. No. Because it comes up a lot. I'm pr- I promise. Oh, I promise I'm not. I think it was one of your, I think it was your finest hour. Thank you. My finest hour came on like episode two of me recording with you guys. Great. <laughs> Great. It's downhill from here. I'm still waiting for your finest hour. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Last week we were Kateless. We talked a whole lot about the news. It's middle summer right now. Comic-Con is Friday and we're reading a book. A good one. Yeah, we are. We're on the first real chapter. You guys, this, I think uh, this is our first Jamie POV chapter ever, right? It is. It is. Yeah, it is. He did. He didn't have anything in Clash of Kings. Jamie Lannister, well, Jamie. brother of Cersei. Not, not for you and me, Kate. Well, it's yes. It's not our first one. Of course. We've had many a chapter between us, if yeah, you know what I mean. I mean maybe, maybe they run out mm-hmm. later on. Who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah. <we> do. Nope. <laughs> well, what better way to start it than by the highlighted selection, <laughs> an east wind blew through his tangled hair, as soft and fragrant as Cersei's fingers. Mm-hmm. He could hear birds singing and feel the river moving beneath the boat as the sweep of the oars sent them toward the pale pink dawn. After so long in the darkness, the world was so sweet that Jamie Lannister felt dizzy. I am alive and drunk on sunlight. A laugh burst from his lips, sudden as a quail flushed from cover. Welcome to A Storm of Swords. And we are with Jamie, and he sounds attractive. He certainly does. This whole chapter does a very good job of uh, reestablishing Jamie's character as exactly who we thought he was, which is interesting because most of our POV chapters give us an additional perspective on what mm-hmm. people are thinking. But in this, I, th- I feel like George Martin wanted us to remember like Jamie's a, a dick and he is really into having sex with his sister and yes. like, there's no, there's no misconception whatsoever about Jamie Lannister at this point. You, you have not been uh, presented a misrepresentation of his character. This is exactly who he is. He uh, has respect for his brother. He calls Brienne wench and says that that's the name for her gender. And then he finally starts to gain some respect for her right around the time he says she's like the hound with teats, mm-hmm. which is still not, <laughs> not complimentary. Well, yeah, because it's like she, if she had any, she'd be the hound with teats. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's <laughs> yeah. still, it's still pretty awful. But like the, the idea of comparing Brienne, who's amazing, to a character who's a dude and just slapping a pair of boobs on him. Like, it's still, it's still kind of a dick thing to do, even though you understand, oh, this is Jamie's way of right. admitting to himself begrudgingly that he has some respect for Brienne. Yeah, this chapter mm-hmm. did a, uh, a really good job. If we were just going to bullet point some stuff out, like Kate was saying, we had like the highlights, sort of, of how we were presented Jamie from the first two books and also from the earlier parts of the show. It's like he himself dropped the bullshit asshole guard for a second throughout the chapter a few times and allowed like real moments of humanity to come through. So it's like a really good beginning to what we can see from him. He shows these moments of humanity though, in a very self-interested way, in my opinion, he's, there's a part where Mm -hmm. he, 
he like uses instead of calling Brienne wench, he calls her Brienne just so that he can get her attention a little bit more. Yeah, like he's, he's very he's very manipulative, um, and he still is extremely like he's trying to talk her into bringing him to Casterly Rock uh, rather than King's Landing. Um, he's he's trying to still weasel his way out of the chains constantly. He's like, hey, right. if you I could row this boat, and she's like, shut up. <laughs> he's like, hey, if you un- unchain me, I could climb this tree. She's like, shut up. You know, he just he doesn't he never stops trying to push it, push it, push it. Um, he's still he's still this extremely arrogant character. And although there are these small specks of humanity, when you first read this chapter, had we not seen Jamie's uh, ev- evolution over the show, um, I don't think that you come into this chapter feeling like like he's a likable person. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like this chapter definitely p- paints him as the Jamie Lannister of of lore, the Kingslayer, um, and this this douchey incest loving guy. Yeah. King of douchebaggery. <laughs> King of douchebaggery. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He's pretty good at it. I think it's funny from a, a narrative perspective too, because he's going over. See, we didn't see him escape necessarily, or like kind of what led up to him being here. And we don't have a point of view chapter from Jamie before this. So isn't it kind of funny though, that when he's looking back over his escape, there's bits of it that he doesn't even remember because he was drunk or tired mm-hmm. or exhausted. It's like, what happened at the end of the last book? Well, I'm trying to remember here because this is the beginning of the the new book, but I'm thinking, nope, Jamie doesn't even remember what happened. <laughs> he kind of, he got away. Like Catelyn said some things to some guards to let him go. And he got away, and that's the important stuff. But like the fine details, it's almost like a way of getting out of, you know, explaining exactly how they escaped just by saying that, well, Brienne is charged with protecting him. And, and that's something that she grudgingly or, or otherwise, you know, accepted, but she's, she's going to do it. And that's kind of the, the theme. It feels more like a, a Brienne chapter almost because Jamie's testing the waters of Brienne's character and the water that they're in. Yes. That water right. too. Um, there's also, there's a point where he there I think they bring up the murder the attempted murder of Bran a couple times mm, during yeah. this chapter and there's a part where he's like internally he doesn't say this out loud but he's like for the record <laughs> I kind of regret pushing the kid out the window like it's still he's not he's not a good he's not a good guy he's, he's there's nothing redeeming about this person and I I also like how utterly blasé he is about every situation that he encounters during this chapter he's been in a dungeon forever um, he's like, oh, I got I should probably cut my hair and and uh, have this big old beard so nobody recognizes me. Oh, and I'm, you know, on this this little day, I guess, slow speed chase, slow speed chase uh, down see. a river. <laughs> They're running away from these people who want to throw him back in that dungeon, and he's taunting them. Um, and and the just every everything that happens to them, he he observes it. He's like, none of this can touch me. Because I'm Jamie fucking Lannister, you know, yeah. like that's that's very much his attitude. Um, and knowing what what it, of course is about to happen to him coming up, um, you you feel at least I do. I feel a little bit smug reading this chapter. I'm like, oh yeah, you think you're you think you're hot shit? Uh, you think you think you're Mister Cool Guy? All right, we'll, well just that's see. Got to go in Bossa Nova. No, what <laughs> I mean, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt, right? Somebody loses an arm, mm. or, or until or someone um, calls someone else a name. Which happens right at the beginning yeah. of the chapter. So, Aww. like, Jamie is having fun and games, and Brienne is kind of like, you know, we didn't really get to get the perspective, like Eric was saying, from the very end of the last book. So we're just kind of like, this is a present for folks who waited from the end of the last book to this one, that it begins with Jamie, because we didn't really know what was going to happen to him. So this is like, mm-hmm. this is immediately following the darkness. And if he blacked out during most of it, so did we. So we're, we, we begin exactly. here where the show begins, essentially, with Brienne and Jamie. 
except someone we haven't spoken about yet. An awkward third wheel, <laughs> Sir Cleo Spray. <laughs> right. Right? The twiddle, uh, what is that? Twiddle bibble. Lick spittle is what it is. Lick spittle. See, at one point in the chapter, Jamie is wondering, Cleo Spray, who was also, um, as you know from our read through of A Clash of Kings at River Run, and part of his ability to walk as a free man is taking Jamie along with Brienne back to King's Landing for the safe exchange of whatever Stark girls, pretty much whatever Catelyn can get. Mm -hmm. And in this boat, he's sort of playing the role of, could you say like, like the marriage counselor or the mediator? (laughs) (laughs) He's the only man on the boat with manners, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, he sounds, I mean, he sounds like he's a pretty nice guy. And he's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't, she's... She's here to protect you, and, and she's nobly born. Maybe show her a little bit of respect. But Jamie just paints him as this weak-chinned, weasel-faced guy. Goose. Who, who's a, yeah, who is as brave as an especially brave you, uh, which is uncharitable, to say the least. But don't you feel that's how Jamie paints everybody? Exactly, I mean, he yeah. He thinks so highly of himself that nobody, except maybe his sister, are his equal. You know, even even that, I his his sister does not come off as his equal at all throughout this chapter. And I, I I'm looking at this scene as a it's a flashback where he is remembering um, how Cersei had given him no end of grief afterward when the boy refused to die. Yeah, he was seven. Jamie, she berated him. Even if he understood what he saw, we should have been able to frighten him into silence. And this in this flashback, he what he's remembering is not necessarily that Cersei was upset with him about pushing Bran out the window, but that he won the argument by shutting her up by kissing her and presumably more uh, evolves yeah. beyond that. But like that's more kissing. She's, yeah. Well, is this is going to be one of those kissing books. It's going to be one of yes. those kissing book books. Have kissing. Oh, we'll stop reading then. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, she doesn't, she's not given any respect by him. He's, all he's remembering is the way she smells, the way her boobs look. Like it's it's not actually a respect. I think that his arrogance transcends even whatever he feels for for Cersei. Oh man, you're so hard on Jamie. Yeah, you are. Yeah, well, man. But, even, I don't know. Deservedly so, I think. I feel no, like there's... Eric's got a new character favorite. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. No, you have a new on, favorite, no. don't you? <laughs> no, I do not have a new favorite character. There's I was nothing just wrong going with having add... a new favorite, man. Variety is gonna... <laughs> the spice of life. Uh, no, I was going to add. Uh, to Kate's point, uh, yes. just what he says about Tarth as well. When he learns that uh, Brienne is from Tarth, he calls it what an ungodly, ugly rock in the middle of a a ghastly uh, large rock in the narrow ghastly. sea. <laughs> there you go. They're paddling through the forks of the Trident, right? And it's a very desolate place. They're alone. They've got the sounds of Cleos sort of asking Jamie to be a little <laughs> bit nicer to Brienne because, of course, just like in the show, he's got his own little cracks. And this is less of the reality show Jamie and Brienne that we loved seeing and that we're like, this could be a wonderful spinoff one day Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a third will, obviously. So it's interesting. And I hope that you guys, if you're just listening along, go ahead and read along because there's literally too many quotes and back and forths in this chapter for us to say, Hey, let's, let's act this out and play it out because it would be really funny because honestly, it's hard to pick one over the other. So definitely read it, but they're going through the force of the Trident, which was once a place that was so incredibly busy and I'm imagining, I'm thinking of like Baldur's Gate or something. I'm thinking of just any medieval context that you've seen before of of people and, and ships and fishing and tradesmen and little kids running around uh, on mm-hmm. the shore. This is what this place used to be like. But now that's not what's happening. The war is yeah. here. People are, are hiding indoors. Some people are probably off to war. And a lot of people might be dead. 
the only thing around them is a log. Wait, that's not a log. <laughs> it's a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> and I might have known that guy because he's wearing the Lannister red. You know, it, it is a terrifying kind of situation because they don't know kind of – and Jamie's been in captivity for so long. He doesn't know how the world has changed around him. And it's, it's part of why, as you mentioned, he – gives himself a haircut. I mean, he gets Cleos to, but he basically announces it. He says, this is what I need to do so that we're not, you know, taken or, or find some worse fate. He needs to shave off all of his Lannister locks and even trims his beard while he's at it. And this is just a reality. Like, I don't know. He Heisenberged himself <laughs> like will, willingly. Yeah. What do you guys think of, they, they come ashore after they find a tree that's filled with women um, at a place that used to be a tavern and Brienne is, she says, you know, this is, this was unchivalrously done. No true knight would do this. And Jamie's like, oh yeah, you think so? Um, and then they, they go ashore and they find the sign that says they lay with lions. Then they discover that it's not the Lannisters that did this, but Brienne's side of the war, as, as Jamie puts it. Um, and I'm not sure, like I, I've been thinking about this scene quite a bit and I'm not sure if it serves more as a reality check for Brienne. I feel like she still carries a little bit of, um, idealism and naivete with her at this point. She's still hmm. like, she's, she still has this sense that knights are people who behave chivalrously, mm -hmm. who protect the weak. Um, and so this would be something that would be an unpleasant awakening for her if indeed it was a knight that, that did it. There's no guarantee that it's a knight. Exactly. That did it. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing to keep in mind. But what I go back to is, you know, the, the comment, um, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now on who says it, but you know, the I think it's Sir Jorah that there's good and evil on each side of mm -hmm. every war that was ever fought, yes. and this is a perfect example of that. There, you know, normally if you see this kind of a situation in the series, you would expect it to be at the hands of the Mountain and some of Tywin's uh, Tywin Lannisters men, because that's just the way that we've been taught throughout, really. Probably more so the the series on TV as opposed to what we read in the books, but just the fact that you know whenever we come across these lands that have been raped and pillaged and burned down, and we encounter these sorts of things, it's always the quote unquote bad guys. But you know, I think as the series go goes on, what we learn is that there really is no bad guy. You know, it's 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 hard to distinguish who are the bad guys. You know, I think that. Yeah, this is another example of that. I agree that Brienne is a bit naive when it comes to these types of things, but even still, you have Jamie in this moment who's still being a smug asshole. Mm -hmm. And you know, with, with the comments that he makes about, oh, you know, these clearly, uh, you know, weren't the uh, weren't the culprits that you were expecting them to be. He's he's going to use the opportunity to try and free himself again. He says, "I can climb this tree if you let me go." <laughs> right. Like, uh, so there's that. But there is just, I, I guess, Jamie still. This is maybe it might be influenced by the coloring and the coming to that we end up seeing on the show with Jamie. But I think that there's a certain pull that they both have, both Brienne and Jamie, to or towards helping these women, to or towards getting ashore. It's not part of Brienne's mission, right? I mean, she's supposed to escort Jamie to King's Landing. It's not part of that direct path, but she sees these women, she sees these corpses, she sees the crows around them and says, we need to stop and help. And Jamie, he gets it. He he understands why. He's gonna of course gonna use it to his advantage because he's in captivity. But there's a part of him, I think, that is again kind of slowly gaining respect for her um and her heart. I mean, this is the perfect situation to start gaining some respect for Brienne because I mean in the boat, 
you guys can have arguments. I mean, she she called him Kingslayer. She mentioned uh, the brand tossing out of the window bit. She also yeah. mentioned um, sleeping with a sister. And, and none of these are insults because this is all true stuff that Jamie has done. She may be naive, but I feel like she was boating past this just display of of murder people in a tree. Mm-hmm. So she she wanted to out of sight, out of mind it, but like have a personal hand in, in putting it into it herself. So I understand the motivation behind it, but uh, I think it led to a lot of trouble. It did. Yeah. yeah. And that is an, is something that Brienne uh, encounters, I think, uh, a couple of times exactly. in in the series that, that we've seen from her so far is that she ha- she's so much bound by this code of honor that in, it almost gets in her way. She's very much like Ned Stark. Um, honor is this great quality, but in this world in particular, for whatever reason, it seems to have these really negative consequences. Yeah, serious consequences to you know being bound by this code of honor. And yeah, she she stops because she feels it's almost her duty to cut these women down and to bury them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she's forsaking her duty to get Jamie to King's Landing because in the time that it's taking her to go and cut these women down, the people who are chasing them, who she seems to think she knows in the back of her mind somewhere that these people are behind her. How far behind her, be. she doesn't know. Right? I mean, he's the keys, Jamie Lannister. Exactly. And so she she doesn't think that by doing this, she's allowing these other people to catch up with her. Right. And that again, that's her honor getting in the way of focusing on the larger picture. Yeah. And I think this particular exchange between the two of them highlights that Brienne still thinks of people as humans, as as uh, resources to be protected. And Jamie thinks of dead bodies as just the reality of war. He doesn't even see them as any. He's like, we need to keep on going. We've got to get down this river. And she's the one saying, these are human beings and they deserve to be buried like human beings should be. Um, mm-hmm. And instead of like Micah, like you were saying, her this this is probably a really valuable lesson for Brienne because doing the right thing is not always the right thing to do mm-hmm. and so she's <laughs> she she ends up getting you know putting them in a really sticky situation um that she then has to extract them from and barely by the skin of her teeth ends up doing <laughs> but yeah that's it's it's a very it's a very important lesson i think for everybody in this universe but for whatever reason Brienne seems to get the uh the the most poignant example of it right here um, and I earlier, I think it was Zach who said that this is something we see. We see Jamie and Brienne um, at, on the show, and we're like, "Oh, this is great! This banter is wonderful. This would be a great spinoff." But mm-hmm. this is often this is often one of the reasons I recommend that people read the book because you get to see the POV of Jamie Lannister, and instead of just like seeing this handsome, grubby male model looking guy who's just like exchanging <laughs> these barbs with Brienne, who's amazing, it's a wonderful scene. But to be able to see inside his head and how he actually thinks of himself so much higher, and it's it's portrayed beautifully on the show as well, but you actually get to see what a scumbag he is at this point in, in yeah. his particular character arc. It's so valuable. It really gives you a new perspective on the kinds of things that you see in the show. I'd like to think that his comment about knights do and see worse things than this all the time was more geared toward the brutal murder and, and death that happens inside of a battle. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like to think that that... Because this was a reality check for show watchers when it appeared in the show. This is a reality check for readers. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier as far as um, who's bad 
and as far as what bad people do, because these are not Stark men. These are not North men. These are not Tullys. These are not the people that we kind of at this point are sort of rallying around. These are people that were killed because they, air quotes, laid with lions. You know, you're talking about um, how narcissistic Jamie is um, mm-hmm. or how full of himself he is. Um, and I wanted to mention when he does uh, cut his hair off, um, there's a line and I wondered what you guys thought about this. He says, um, uh, I don't look as much like Cersei this way. She'll hate that. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it really kind of shed some light onto their affection for one in, one another. At least he might be saying here that, you know, kind of one of the reasons she likes him is because he looks so much like her on a normal day and kind of shows how she's, I guess narcissistic in her own way or vain, or that's just like kind of like how he colors the relationship. Not neither of them are sympathetic characters, and neither of them, even their love for each other, is is sort of I don't know if the word is gross, but it's it's a <laughs> cinema a synonym of gross. Uh, their their love is weird and it's it's perverted, and so when they even show affection toward each other, it still doesn't sit quite right with you. So knowing that they are attracted to one another because they look like the other person, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it kind of gives you a reason why they have stayed together their entire lives is because they've got some weird shared perversion that they are just really into people who look exactly like them. And in fact, Cersei continues to bed other Lannisters who look like younger versions of Jamie. So it's just, it's like, it's their thing, I think. Or younger That's versions right, of herself. I forgot about that. Young, younger <laughs> versions of herself. Yeah. She's just, she's just, um, she likes to keep it in the family. Yeah. Well, that, that that's just something that I look forward to so much yeah. in reading this book. Yeah, you like you looking forward to that? <laughs> no, 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 not in that way. No, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You got me there. Uh-huh. No, but seeing seeing the arc with uh, Jamie and Cersei, which was split between two seasons, to to catch it all in one book is going to be really nice. And I want to clarify too that I started this episode really railing on Jamie because at this point in his arc, he's he's a stone cold douchebag but i will say jamie becomes one of my favorite characters it's just at this point in his story i think i think he's pretty deplorable so i wanted to just mention that so we don't get any hate in the comments about not liking jamie love jamie i'd like to think that those reading along with us uh can pick up on that though you know what i mean because i think that's what george meant to do i think that that was the, the, the sole purpose of putting these kinds of people in the situation that they're in you know, and, and right. we were talking of uh, the loose conversations and kind of the japing back and forth between them and, and Cleos throwing in his shit. Right. And then they eventually landed on shore to take care of some business. But knowing what you know now, if you aren't reading along with us and you don't know what happens next, knowing what you know now that we've spoken of, of these three people um, and, and how they're kind of sharing their time with each other. I just thought so, so interesting of George to put this spice into it because it was so lighthearted up until this point. And then it hit the dead bodies and then it got really, really somber. But still, mm-hmm. they found a way to sort of make it lighthearted. But it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to make danger not important. Yeah. And what, be- you know, what this chapter starts out as for, for, for what it starts out as, you know, and being great, offering great insight into characters, it ends in this huge action sequence. Mm-hmm. Which is really just yeah, quite that's cool. What I mean. yeah. It is cool. It is cool, and it shows like Brienne as a as a complete action hero. Like she's definitely she jumps out, she swims away, she climbs a cliff face, she shoves a boulder over the yeah. side, and then uh-huh. she swims back, and she's like, not even a problem. So. Um, but I I wanted to. I think this is a really interesting thing because this shows uh, a very particular deviation in Brienne's loyalties, which is that when when Jamie 
earlier in the chapter says to her, this was done by your side, not mine, in reference to the women who are hanging from the tree. He is assigning Brienne the role of having been on the Tully side of the war. But she does not obey the Tullys in this, in this particular. She is, her loyalty is to Catelyn. Um, and so it's, it's whenever these guys are coming after Jamie and they're ordering that, uh, he come back because Catelyn Stark doesn't rule in River Run. Um, she doesn't care. She's like, my job is to get Jamie to King's Landing and I'm going to actually potentially cause bodily harm to Tully's in order to continue to carry out that mission. She makes it very yeah. clear, like her loyalty is to this one particular thing and not to any particular side of the war. So Jamie was wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Jamie's always wrong. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's not often it's, right. It's a good point because it ties into something you said earlier and you realize like you're left at the end of a clash of kings not knowing what is going to happen to Jamie, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And in that moment we learn then what you said that Catelyn does not rule at River Run. So what does this mean for her and her character moving forward? Right. She's in heap big trouble mm-hmm. uh <laughs> in in terms of I forget what video game that was from. I just remember hearing that like some old <laughs> Can we get typing sound effects, Kate? Please, I don't want to edit them in. (laughs) One of our, um, yeah, one of our listeners, I'm sure, can tell you. Thank you. Gives you insight into (laughs) another character and another storyline because it's not just the fact that Catelyn has now let Jamie go. It's what are the ramifications of what she has done? Yes, not only for her but for Rob and for everybody who is back at River Run, and. It's 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 a huge reveal, like because you didn't know Jamie could have been dead after everything that happened to him, um, you know, towards the end of a Clash of Kings. We we were left on a cliffhanger, and we come into this book, and you know, outside of the up uh, the prologue, this is the first point of view we're getting, and it's from a guy who, you know, let's face it, is less than honorable for all that we know, and he's. He's safe. He's on a raft. He's on a boat. He's on his way to to safety. And boat. we didn't. And he know pushed that. Bran out of the window. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he did. We can't. We. I don't. I really don't think at this point you can say that you can like question his honorability. He's he's a he's a jerk. He's a he's a total scumbag at this at this particular point. He's done absolutely nothing redeemable. I mean, You're they, right. they they don't even get to bury the ladies, the the women on the tree. You know, they they have to kind of get out of there and mm-hmm. Brienne's fleeing hope is that somebody else stops basically and does what she does and has the same, you know, kind of conflict yeah, uh, and, and ends up giving them proper burial because they see that they're being followed. But I mean, I'm just saying, so Jamie doesn't even have that, uh, you know, on his good deed list that you can't even finish well, digging the graves. He tried. Sure. <laughs> now, one question I wanted to ask was, you know, in talking about his relationship, um, with his sister, right? He's very open about it. You know, he was open with it, uh, about it with Catelyn. He's open with Brienne, with Cleos Frey. Whereas if you look at Cersei, she, she very much protects that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And she has to, given the, the location that she's in. But I just thought it was interesting that he's so willing to talk about it. You know, and, and I know we get a lot of insight, you know, into his mind and his thinking. And so it's not always things that are said out loud, but he doesn't deny the relationship with his sister. He doesn't have as much to lose. You know, he's, he is, uh, he's in the King's guard, so he's there for life and he doesn't, he'll never take a wife anyway. So it's not like he has a personal relationship to ruin, but what Cersei could lose is a great deal more um, because she could then, you know, her children would be 
ousted as the royal line, um, and she would be disgraced and sent back to Casterly Rock and to be a, a widow for the rest of her life, probably. Um, and so, like, I think I think that her political agenda and her personal agenda are in direct conflict with this relationship. Whereas Jamie doesn't seem to care. Who knows? Because what's it going to do? Like, what what could happen to him? And I think that that has something to do with both the gender roles in this in this uh, universe. I think that it's more on the woman to maintain her honor, as always has been in in real life, you know, in in history. But also because of their their respective political stations. Mm. After spending all of the time he has being captured, I really think the last thing he cares about is people finding out about him and Cersei. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, yeah. it's just not on his mind, not on his bald mind. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric, uh, there is something that he says that uh, is important, even though it's kind of an internal monologue when he's talking about uh, Bran, and it's the fact that. Uh, Cersei never would have sent this cat's paw yeah. to go after Bran. He would have, she would have sent Jamie. So I think, you know, that's a little bit of a, a hint, at least to the fact that Cersei was not the one, nor was Jamie the one who sent this uh, killer after Bran. Well, I'm just baffled. We will find out the answer to that question later on in this book. So oh, good. Uh, something that the show didn't uh, provide, and I don't think we ever mentioned on the podcast when we were going through the, the season that who it was, but I think that uh, it'll be cool to get to that in the, in the, in the book later on. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I'm excited. Agreed. Let's talk about brave Sir Robin. Are you talking about Robin of Loxley or are you talking <laughs> about Robin, Sir Robin Riger, the man in the river galley, Robin Riger, of course. Um, Coming behind on a boat that is manned by 18, is it, oarsmen? 18 oarsmen? Pro- More likely 20 or 25. Mm-hmm. I mean, bless... Roughly 19. Yes, bless uh, Brienne for rowing. And this is amazing. It's kind of, kind of touching on Owen's territory here, but Brienne rowed all night long. Or at least yeah. half the night. Without tiring. I mean, that is amazing. And She's it really was only... You can say about her... You know, okay, had this heart calling and and had to sidestep and get back to shore and try and bury these women. But really, on a boat with 18 oarsmen and probably seven more men on board or so, they were going to catch up to Brienne and Mm -hmm. Jamie and Cleos. They were going to catch up. It was only a matter of time. And so they do. And that's that's what happens. Fortunately, they were able to get back to the boat before they directly clash. But there is a clashing. And in this point, I think it's really cool to see how Jamie changes gears because he's relying on Brienne to survive. And we've seen this, I guess, on the show in later times. But they're really – they work well together when they're both on the same side. There's a, a point earlier when um, they realize that they're being pursued and they hop back in the boat and they start to row away. And there was an interesting bit where Jamie is looking at Brienne's face and he's like – he's a man who's – he's learned to read men's fear. He can see it in their eyes. But he didn't see it there with her. She was determined and not desperate. And that was the first point I feel like Brienne really earned for him was that she could have been terrified. She could have been freaking out, but she wasn't. She knew she could handle it. She knew it was just going to be a little bit of a challenge, but she was up to it. (laughs) She's a monster. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I think that Jamie starts to right then, he's like, oh, this woman's not afraid of anything. And it's probably nothing. When you think about it, it's nothing like anything Jamie Lannister has ever seen before. Ever even when, heard of? Yeah. When has a woman ever been the bravest and, and noblest 
one in the group, right? In this particular universe. They're they're always there's ladies in dresses, but there are very few battle-hardened warriors who can row a boat all night, then climb a tree, and then <laughs> jump back in the boat wall. and run. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. climb a rock wall and then push a boulder. boulder on some she's, dudes. She's a she's a machine. She's yeah. incredible. This 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 chapter this really did happen, by the way, people. I mean, it really did. They really were like literally. This is real life. This is nonfiction. They were telling yeah, they, no, they were telling jokes, and then it became an action sequence. I mean, just yeah. like that, brave Sir Robin. And all of his men approached <laughs> in the river galley. And of course, they're going to get to them quicker. They've got all of those people. And so Jamie mm-hmm. is doing the math out loud. He's like, well, let's say there's about 18 or, or so of them. I've got the oar. Uh, I'm paddling. But when I'm done paddling, I can at least hit someone with it. And it can be used for parrying. And that was like subtly put in. Like George, George didn't set up a paragraph just so Jamie could say what he was going to do with the oar. It was in the middle of his thought processes. And I thought that, that was a cool way uh, for George to... Uh, make it bold to us that he is a really, really great fighter and that his mind immediately clicks to how he can survive in a situation. So yeah. seeing Brienne sort of be on the same level as him, I think bolstered the confidence of their situation. But in reality, it's completely folly. They're in, let's just call it a canoe, comparatively speaking, to this thing. <laughs> He's in chains. Sir Cleos is over there going, oh, I know you're good, but I don't think we can kill 20 people. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure about this. <laughs> what better way to actually fight the battle before it begins than for Jamie to start yelling? And I thought it was supremely hilarious how it began. But basically, he was getting called out for having his hair cut off. They were like, yo, we saw your hair all the way up by the, r- the river. You cut your hair. That's cool. And he was like, well, I thought... It may help me not get recognized. I guess it worked, right? And they like laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's about to go down. People are about business, to die. Yeah. Right? It's business. This is business. This is all this is. There's nothing personal necessarily about this. Riger doesn't necessarily know Jamie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just like, this is their job. This is Jamie's job to escape <laughs> and it's Riger's job to bring him back. And that's all it is. <laughs> You know, it's my job to escape, man. I mean, yeah, I'd love to come up there because you guys have seats. <sighs> I know. I just got. I have to do this. My boss is going to be up my butt. I did think there's so there's two things that happen in the scene that are great. Um, there's Jamie realizing he glances up, he sees Brienne running toward this boulder that she's going to push, and he understands, or I think he sees her climbing the the, the cliff wall. And he's like, "Oh, I know what she's going to do." Oh, but yeah. if they see her, they're going to take her down. So I have to distract them. That's his yes. first. Like we're working together, and I'm going to save her from certain doom because I'm worried yes. about the fact that I don't think she's going to be able to get this done without me. So he actually does it. He could have let them shoot her. She could have been dead. Boom, no problem. He would have gotten captured, but yeah, whatever. But the other one is that once the boat is collapsed and his agenda is fulfilled, like he can't be captured anymore, he can, when she swims back to the boat, he is like, oh, I can just take her out with this oar. You know, I've, I could I could kill her with this, no problem. But instead, he uses, he, he uses the oar to help Brienne up onto the boat because for whatever inexplicable reason, he's into having her alive and having her around. Um, and so this this is a this is a hugely transformative chapter. I kind of feel like this is the first, maybe like the first conversation that hasn't been wholly antagonistic that he's had with a woman since like ever. I don't know. He's just <laughs> <laughs> no. I think I think it demonstrates the fact that um, he also could see her as a good ally for the time being Mm -hmm. like it's not the moment it's not the right moment for him to act Mm -hmm. you know maybe down the line 
if there's another opportunity for him to take advantage of the situation. But I think in the moment, Brienne has proven herself and she's proven herself to be a great asset to him. And yeah. so, you know, I still think there's some of that that's going on in his mind for as much as it might be one of those Jamie Lannister turning point moments, the very beginning of that sequence. Uh, I also do think he looks at it as an opportunity more than anything else. And let's face it, you can either have Brienne or you can have Cleos Frey um, standing beside you, you know, should other shit go down later on. Sure. Um, I would put my money on Brienne. Certainly. No, not on Cleos. <laughs> Certainly. Sorry, Cleos. But I will uh, say, like, Brienne's his captor and she's not his friend. Certainly not yet. Um, and mm -hmm. to have her out of his way... He mentions earlier that they could take, you know, a different turn and take him to Casterly Rock, which is much closer. Uh, theoretically, considering how highly he thinks of himself, he could get Brienne out of the way, climb out of the water, and find a Lannister. He has Cleos next to him, who may or may not be very useful, but is another Lannister. Um, and mm -hmm. so he actually would have, you know, a, a path to Casterly Rock should he want to take it. But for whatever reason, be it arrogance or a, a desire to explore this weird adventure that he's going down, he decides that he's going to keep Brienne alive and continue to be her her captive. And this was a very subtle situation George gave us. It was at the very end of the chapter, but just like now, it actually is very thought-provoking. <laughs> <laughs> and was done. You Game like of that? Bones. Yeah, thank you. Dot com. Get us on friends, too. Right now, it offers up uh, a load of conversation as to whether or not this was actually a moment where he made such a large decision. Because I feel like yeah, it would have been really easy just to let her drown and just take your chance otherwise. Because yeah. those guys, their ship sank. The last couple lines of this, I wanted to. This is this is. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what to make of this last line, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. But he he saves Brienne. He brings her up. He says she's ugly as usual. <laughs> He's very into her looks. <laughs> um, tells her that she's bloody stupid. We could have sailed on without you. I suppose you expect me to thank you. Brienne says, I want none of your thanks, Kingslayer. I swore an oath to bring you safe to King's Landing. Jamie says, and you actually mean to keep it? Jamie gave her his brightest smile. Now there's a wonder. Now and I, I feel like that, that like Jamie gave her his brightest smile seems very, uh, uh, ingenuine disingenuous is is the word i'm looking for yeah. so. it seems it seems like he's he's like he thinks it's funny almost he's like oh yeah you you really think that you're going to keep your vow all right let's see how this is going to go it's almost yeah. like he's deciding to continue to be with her or at least pretending that he's telling himself that this is his decision to stay with her mm -hmm. um even if it's it's self delusion just because he mm -hmm. thinks it's going to be interesting yeah, he yep. thinks it's going to be fun. Yeah, but that that's it's some like twisted mentality that he has about. The He's whole high thing. on yeah. life. It's yeah. it's it's, it's Tobey Maguire as Peter on, Parker uh, in Spider Man Three <laughs> with Thomas. You know, the raindrops keep falling on my head. It's that. It's that scene. Maybe he's just like you know, kind of like how uh, Oberyn is. Just you know, day at a time. Jamie's like, I'm in the river. This is better because that's how the chapter started. You know, he was right. like, this is so much better. Anyway. Than being in that hole. There's not a lot of differences, honestly, between Jamie and Oberyn, actually. They they never quite meet at the right time period, I don't think, for them to be a comparative match. Um, but hmm. this Oberyn, if Jamie were consumed with vengeance for his family, I think that he would be Oberyn when you yeah, think about really it. Yeah, it's really interesting. He's, an, he's an incredible. Cersei. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, if somebody God. had murdered Cersei and his children, yeah. which, by the way, I wanted to point out, 
Not once during this entire POV chapter does he think about his children. He doesn't <laughs> care about them. Yeah. He does not care about them. Not at all. You he know, really doesn't. could that also be because they were like raised by another man? I mean, they could. Could that also be Robert because didn't like care about him either? Yeah, Robert didn't care. <laughs> Jamie that's, was that's there. Robert. The that's whole on time. Robert, though. You know what I'm saying? Though that's that's like on, that's like on Robert. He's not supposed to think about them as his kids. I guess. I mean, really, the only. Uh, uh, uncle that they like is Tyrion and, and that's just for Tommen and Marcella and obviously Joffrey and Tyrion don't get along Not very well. well. Sure. Yeah. yeah, if you think about it, uh, Tyrion's the popular uncle. We don't really see much interaction between uh, Jaime and, and the other kids. It might be that he, as you said, that he tries to distance himself because he's not supposed to be their father but I think that even an uncle can show a fatherly amount of, of uh, affection toward toward kids um and he just doesn't he just doesn't care or think about them he's he's really into cersei's bathing suit area and that appears to be the extent <laughs> of his affection for his family <laughs> he does love Tyrion. He, men- yeah. he mentions a couple times during this chapter that like oh Tyrion would have a witty thing to say right now so he clearly yeah. like he has a lot of respect for for Tyrion. um so and I that he maybe Tyrion is the only one. Listen to us, people. We're we've been speaking for minutes about nothing that's been written in this chapter. So let this be an example of what to expect in our reread. There's much more. This is a yeah. great way to open the book. I'm excited. But I mean, Micah did tease that something. You know, we have we have yet to see what the repercussions for Catelyn are going to be. So we get to see them right away, which yeah. is always very exciting. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, guys, let's do our owns. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm going to go first. My own goes to Brienne of Tarth. Uh, because she's amazing and she's like a <laughs> fucking she terminator. Boulders. She is um yeah. she is insanity. She, she is took down a beast river galley. mode personified. <laughs> she, she is my hero. She is amazing. Brienne of Tarth, you own my heart. You did good. She she kicked all of the asses. I'll go to Jamie, the own that he has this disdain for his family member, uh Cleos Frey. Um, wondering if he actually believes the words that are coming out of his mouth or if he's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of funny how he has no allegiance. Again, seeing how much he likes Cersei, uh, it doesn't translate to any sense of, you know, he's like family pride, but he doesn't necessarily give two shits about Gleos Frey, um, who is his cousin, but then it's by marriage. And so this, that, the other thing. So I enjoy reading his little, um, kind of inner thoughts about, Cleos being a lickspittle, and that will be my own. I like it. You just wanted to say that. You got that, that word Lick's- right the first time. I finally got the thank you. Hey, that was a chi- that was my personal growth for this episode. <laughs> Congratulations, uh, lickspittle, remembering what that was. Strong. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, I'm borrowing your book and using it to transition to my own, which your own transitioned into already. So double the skills for you Whoa. today, sir. I can't pick between two as usual, so I will. I, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead. I don't know. They're both so good. I don't know what to do. But they both transition so well with what I said before. I think so, yeah. They, they do. They both do. First stone. By they? midday, Sir Cleos had fallen asleep. His snores sounded like ducks mating. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. okay. Those right. are some cool snores. I'd impersonate it, but you'd turn off the thing. <laughs> this is Cleos speaking to Jamie. Cousin Jamie, please, you ought not to speak so roughly. Under his cloak, Sir Cleos wore a surcoat quartered with the twin towers of House Frey and the Golden Lion of Lannister. We have far to go. We should not quarrel amongst ourselves. When I quarrel, I do it with a sword, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> he said cuz. Cuz. He did say cuz. 
Just because. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Well, Kate, you mentioned it before. Um, I had to give it to Jamie for pulling Brienne back inside the boat. And, uh, and then when Brienne says, I swore an oath to bring you safe to King's Landing. And Jamie says, and you actually mean to keep it. I know you read that line before, but the two words that come out of that uh, dialogue between the two of them have such meaning later on, and that's Oathkeeper. Oh. It's true. Foreshadowing. It's so nice that we can like talk about foreshadowing stuff, but not be like cryptic and gross about it. So we can be like, I think mm. that maybe we should pay attention to the word Oathkeeper. Don't you think <laughs> so? Mm, yes. I'm stroking mm. an invisible beard right now. You can't tell because it's nice. radio. Yeah. Yeah. Damn Drogon for sending that cat's paw after Bran. And there you have it. Those are our owns. Uh, they're all so different, I noticed. A nice variety. Oh, yes. Much like the ones sent in from you fine people over the internet, because we don't have a mailbox dedicated for your owns. Eric? This is an unconventional introduction to myself reading the tweets. Um, from Sam Ianuzzi. Uh, great last name says my own for Jamie goes to Cleos for really putting his back into rowing that boat and not complaining too much. I sense sarcasm. <laughs> well, you're up against Brienne and uh, how can you compete? She can row. She can you should row. just give up. You should give up while you're ahead. Yeah. She's her own rowing team back in Tarth. Yeah. <laughs> just her on a boat. Funny uh, enough, guys, <laughs> uh, rowing is known as sculling. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Wow. Spell the sea. blowing our minds. I, I could probably that. row. My skull is Just blown. as well as Cleos. I see it. <laughs> we did get a lot of uh, love on Twitter recently. I want to thank you uh, to everyone who wrote in to tell us that we were cool or that you were having fun listening to us. But back to Owns, Andrew Herbs tweeted, Own of Jamie, Chapter 1, goes to Jamie for, quote, a singer once said all maids were fair in silk, but he never met you, did he? Oh. It's Ouch. just a she's dig fair. at. Uh, she's fair with the blade, though. I'd say she's better than fair with the blade. She's fair with she's the damn very, oar, very, man. Very she's very fair good. with a boulder. Yeah, she's fair with yeah. the boulder. That's good. Yeah. That's hard to do. Of course, we did have an email on the subject of owns. Uh, this comes from Alexander Blackfire. It's a heck of a name. That's a good name. They also give the own to Jamie. Uh, he says, when the boulder comes crashing down and the soldiers that couldn't swim are drowning, the last thing that they heard was Jamie laughing. Jamie owned the last thoughts of those River Run soldiers. It's kind of dark. That is dark. But true. It is dark. True. It happens. Thanks for the email. That was, yeah. I like that. So I'm wondering, people listening at home, speaking directly to you this time, how many of you are reading along? Because it is a little daunting to step right into such a project like this. I and mean, think about the four of us. We have to make episodes along with all of these. So it's like, ah, but it has been really fun, <laughs> you know? And I, I would encourage everyone listening. We're only two chapters in. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, jumping into the next chapter next week, which will be Catalan. And we get to uh, see uh, what fate uh, awaits her after releasing the Kingslayer. Hopefully uh, she has a little bit of an easier time than Jamie did. Uh, going down the river, but uh, we'll see. In case you're wondering how you can send us your owns, uh, we do mention uh, each of our social media outlets at the end of every episode, but just in case this happened to be your first episode listening to us or the first time you're paying attention, you can tweet at us <laughs> at Game of Owns on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Owns for our feed. We do retweet some owns. We also just ask for them through there. 
number of other things like that. On Facebook, you can scroll upon our wall. Please so do. Facebook.com slash Game of Owns. We recommend you go and do that. Or if you want to email us, just like Alexander Blackfire, everyone should try and be more like him, you can email us at contact at gameofowns.com. Is this where we talk about all the stuff that the summer has? I think yeah. I think it is. At least let's talk about what the next 10 days have in store for us. We have San Diego Comic-Con on Friday, and there's going mm-hmm. to be a very crazy Game of Thrones panel. I will be in attendance. I hope that nice. many of you listening will be. You should meet up. Tweet Zach or tweet at Game of Bones. You know, but after right after Comic Con, there's another convention, LeakyCon, and it will be taking place in Orlando, Florida, uh, beginning. Uh, well, we get in July 29th. You might as well just tell everybody our schedule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's tell them down to My the itinerary. flight room number. Yeah. yeah, hotel room number. Come join us. Yeah, but we'll be making our way to Orlando on the 29th of July. But I believe the convention does it start the next day or does it next start day. the 31st? The the park uh, event, the after hours park event, is on Wednesday. Um, for those 1500 of you lucky souls who got in and won. right. Congratulations. Uh, but the actual opening ceremonies, I believe aren't until Thursday. Okay. So the official dates then I think are July 31st through August 3rd, right? Correct. And uh, so we have to give a mega shout out to Brittany, Brittany Black, uh, who tweeted at us and said, it's official. I got the day approved off work so that I can go see Game of Owns uh, at LeakyCon. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, we're going to have our second ever live show at LeakyCon. We've got some uh, fun conversation planned. We're actually saving some of the more interesting stuff that we'd love to speak about with each other. Like, Not even not on an episode will we talk about this stuff. We're saving a conversation for the convention, like so it's going to be fun. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a good conversation. <laughs> yes. Well, that should yes. come out <laughs> eventually. But yeah, the date, uh, Saturday, August 2nd at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, um, we will be at the Orange County Convention Center. Um, room number, we'll post it on Twitter. I don't remember. Off <laughs> it's the top in the of schedule. Our hotel but, is connected to it, so look for Eric yeah. in the lobbies. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes, I'm going to be running around the lobbies trying to throw people off our scent. On that note, uh, we do look forward to seeing you guys for our next episode, uh, which will be Catlin, as we said about 15 times already. Yeah, after that, uh, we're live in Orlando. We're looking forward to it. We hope to see you all there. Send us your owns for the Catlin chapter. I'm sure it will be filled with them. And for a non-point of view character, I'm expecting some owns from Rob Stark. So owns owns for Catlin. Focus on her. She doesn't have many chapters left. Oh, come on. Neither does Rob. And Rob totally puts her in her place, from what I'm guessing. And thank you for listening, folks. Until then, I'm Eric Skull. I'm Zach. And I'm Micah. Goodbye. And that was Kate. Tell your father I'm here. Dad, Mike is here. <laughs> <laughs>